Hello and welcome back for episode 45 of the Newbie Dentist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Omid Azami. In this episode, we are back with part two of nerding out over biomimetic dentistry with Dr. Davey Allman. The first episode was released last week, episode 44, so be sure to check that out before you listen to this episode as it is a direct continuation. If you do like these ones, we also did an initial episode, Introduction to Biomimetic Dentistry, in episode 30 of the podcast. So if you haven't heard that one, that has been the most downloaded episode of the podcast. So make sure you go back and check it out, guys. As always, I want to thank everyone for listening to the show. We're just coming off a strong month of podcast downloads and the numbers have been great. And there's some exciting news and projects upcoming for the Newbie Dentist podcast as well. So keep an eye out for that. In terms of this episode, I hope you guys enjoy it. It is quite in-depth into several topics, including you know different adhesive systems, different incremental composite buildups, rubber dam versus no rubber dam, and we kind of have some fun and do a bit of a hierarchy of ranking best to worst with the you know, gold standard being you know good isolation, great bonding adhesives, great composite technique, all the way back down to you know poor isolation and poor technique. So have some fun with it. We also talk about uh, different restorative techniques, uh, different matrix systems, and just uh, you know general topics about maybe using heated versus uh, unheated um, composites as well. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. We do nerd out a fair bit and there's a lot of talking points and a lot of review points. So you might need to go back and listen to it a couple times. Without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to the Newbie Dentist Podcast, the safe place for newbie dentists to connect, collaborate, learn and grow. The Newbie Dentist Podcast aims to provide high-quality and high-value content for all the newbie dentists out there. With your host, Dr. Omid Azami. Okay, so that's it. So then you, so okay, let's go from the, so you've done your bond now. Talk to me about your like sequence of your composites and your layering. Well, once I've been doing now, is, yeah, so I did an initial bit of flowable cure that. Like I said, I try and give it as much time as I can. And then are you going str- use like any genial flow or anything like that? Like uh, universal injectables or what kind of composites are you using right now? So my favorites are high modulus, low shrinking uh, composites. Mm-hmm. And the best, the best ones that I believe in is, are the ones that Kura makes. It's, I mean, I'm, I'm like a broken record for these guys. They're not, they don't pay me anything. <laughs> yet i don't know (laughs) (laughs) but i want i want a flowable that has a modulus of elasticity that's very similar to deep dentin Mm -hmm. so we talked about you know a hierarchy of bondability there's also a hierarchy of stiffness in a tooth Mm -hmm. and so deep dentin will have a different uh stiffness than superficial dentin and will have a different uh, stiffness than enamel and so in deep dentin we're we're looking at a modulus of anywhere between, uh, you know, 10 to 12. And so if I can have a, a flowable liner that is similar to that, then, then that's what I will, I will, uh, I will use. And the best one is majesty flow, uh, by Kura. There's yeah. also a really, really good, uh, high modulus flow with, uh, a pretty low shrinkage that Voco makes. Uh, I think it's grandiose flow or something. 
that would be another one that I would recommend. Yeah. And then the same thing with, with my composites is if I'm using a dent replacement, I want something that has a, a stiffness that mimics um, dentin. And there's a really nice hybrid composite by Kurare. It's very, it's a very old one. It's called APX. Mm-hmm. And the modulus of elasticity on that is uh, 16.7. And the shrinkage is, I think it's like 2.7, uh, which was unheard of, you know, 15 years ago. Now there's quite a few uh, composites have similar shrink uh, shrinking rates, but you know, the hand handling of APX is just like butter. It's just really easy to yeah. you know, push it. It's not like, you know, some, some composites that, you know, are very stiff. Mm-hmm. And when you're trying to get it into like a, you know, specific undercut or different irregularity, you know, it's hard to get, you know, good adaptation. Yeah. Whereas with that, it's like, I very rarely need to do like a snow plow technique to, to, to move the materials in those irregularities. And so I, I don't believe in using a heated composite for, for uh, restorative purposes. Yeah. Um, um, but APX will have very similar handlings to a as, a, as a heated composite, where it's just very easy to manipulate. The only drawback is it's not very aesthetic, and so I, I don't use it for my enamel replacement. Yeah. Um, so so use three different so use a flowable a dentine replacement composite and an enamel composite. Correct. Okay. Yeah, so. That's why you charge the big bucks, huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think anybody is a as as has said that an army dentist uh, makes the big bucks. But, but, <laughs> but I like to. I'm, but I like to I'm foreshadowing. I'm foreshadowing your sponsorship. Yeah, is, is worth worth a little bit more. But uh, but going back to your question about a heated composite. Yeah. Why not to use a heated composite? So I want you to think about, I mean, I was an economics major. So, so anybody that's a physics major, please don't, don't bust my chops. <laughs> but there is something called kinetic energy, right? So when you heat a composite, what, what ends up happening to the molecules in that uh, carpule of composite? They have more energy, more kinetic energy? Vibrating, yeah, more kinetic. vibrating around more? Yeah, there's, it's vibrating around more. Yeah, and that's the reason why when you squeeze it out, it has a different viscosity. Correct. Mm-hmm. But now let's go back to that soda can analogy. Yeah. So a regular soda can, if I just pop it open, I don't expect to get you know soda everywhere, right? Yeah. Now I had two cans of pop that I brought back from work, and I dropped one of them. I <laughs> actually dropped one of them. So you're not sure which one. <laughs> The one that I'm drinking is not the one that I dropped. Okay, good. <laughs> but is there more or less kinetic energy in in the can that I dropped versus the can that I didn't drop? More. There's more, right? And so as soon as you place your, your composite that's been heated, and it's probably a thicker increment than, than what I'm using, yeah. <laughs> what, what did we uh, talk about at the very start? Where does the stress have to go? Goes to like the high, like best bond, most predictable bond. Well, 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 yeah, but there'll also be more energy in the in the material itself, right? Yeah. And so there's going to be more energy that needs to be dissipated. And so if you don't allow the composite to cool, okay, so you get more shrinkage is what you're saying. 
you don't get more shrinkage, you get more stress. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like the carbonation in two cans of soda is, is exactly the same, but if I drop a can of soda, you it's know, there's, activated. A yeah. there's, a, there's a different energy potential, right? Yeah. And so in, in the literature, they, you know, call it uh, like, I believe it's vitrification, but it's, you know, the ability of the, the material to, to cross length and connect. Mm-hmm. So when I'm curing my composites, I'm actually trying to delay uh, this reaction. I'm trying to just slowly twist off the cap of that, that, that soda. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, put like a full 22nd cure, you know, highest intensity on, on my very thin layer of composite. I'm actually just trying to get the reaction started. And then later on, I go back and do a full, Interesting. So when you put your like f- like flowable layer liner layer down, you just do like a quick tack cure and let it sit for a little bit. And well, then- well, well, the, well, the flowable is is a little different because the C factor is so low; it's basically one. Mm-hmm. You know, the ratio of unbonded uh, surface to bonded surface is basically you know one to one. Yeah. And so a full cure there is is beneficial, but as soon as I start ta- uh, stacking my composite. And each time that you stack more composite, there's more, uh, there's more potential of a polymerization uh, stress that can strain the, the residual tooth structure. Mm-hmm. So in that first layer where I'm doing just a very thin layer of flowable, you know, there's only one way that that is going to shrink if I don't start placing um, more composite on, and that's towards the tooth, correct? Yeah. But as soon as I start stacking, if I can just get the reaction going then then as the the monomers are beginning to you know connect and the fr- and the radical reaction is, is is going that the these oligomers can kind of slip past each other mm-hmm. and orient themselves in a way that is uh less less stressful whereas if you cure it too soon then all of a sudden it just gets entangled and it has to contract does that make yeah. sense? It's like a lot of, yeah. So, so what like practical, uh, non-numbers, uh, approach, what's your approach? Like you, you start the curing like further away from the tooth and then gradually move it closer or do you just do a quick like tack cure and then let it sit for a little bit and then do a cure? Like how do you so like, the, practically apply that? So there are two strategies. One is a, a pulse, uh, a pulse cure strategy. And that's, a you know, a one to three second, you know, tack, mm-hmm. uh, and then there's a what we call a slow start protocol, and that would be where you move the light further away um, from the prep, do a, do a cure, have a dark period where you're you're not putting more restorative material, and then coming back and and uh, placing the light again. Both of these strategies will allow uh, what we call flow to occur, and mm-hmm. so flow is what dissipates. Uh, that polymerization stress. So, so this, the stress of polymerization gets the, the monomers moving. And if we can allow the, those, those monomers and oligomers as they're connecting and creating, um, you know, long chains of uh, uh, polymerized material, then, you know, they can adhere in a, in a stress-free 
or a stress reduced uh, environment. And so if you're using APX, it's got the easiest slow start protocol. And Shigeru Uno showed the, the research there. You do 20 seconds at 230 milliwatts, you know, for 20 seconds. Yeah. Dark for 10 seconds. And then go back and then do a full cure to the, to the tooth. And you will decrease the polymerization stress. And if you're decreasing the polymerization stress, you increase the bond strength of the, of the restoration. And then the other uh, strategy, if you're using uh, different, uh, different materials, if you're doing a, a slow start, what you do is a, a three-second cure, and then you wait five, three to five minutes, and then go back and do a full cure. Yeah. So John Tanka showed, showed that. Well, I mean, that's a little... So this is like, this is a two-hour filling we're talking about now. I mean, that's why we don't use the F word. Yeah. <laughs> because, because they're like, why is this dentist taking two hours to do a filling? And, and <laughs> so you like, how, so you charge like a thousand dollars. Like, how do you make that work as a business owner? Charge whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, my, my, my approach when I, when I'm leaving the army is I will quote an hourly basis. So if I'm doing indirect or if I'm doing direct, there shouldn't be a difference in my, in my hourly quote. And if, you know, the patient is, is willing to have a rubber dam on for, you know, 90 minutes, then, you know, guess what? That's, that's what they're going to, that's what they're going to be charged. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't feel like there's much difference between my direct restorations and my indirect restorations as far as the, the longevity Mm-hmm. is concerned and so there shouldn't there shouldn't be a, a, a difference in the- even like strength wise like i, I was so, like leaving the bond aside like in terms of like structural strength of the tooth after do you think it's pretty comparable still i mean that's what that's what the that's what the literature is is showing and also uh the clinical results in uh in the network of dentists that we've trained over the last 15 years mm-hmm that there really isn't a significant difference. Now, every dentist will have a different preference and there are some advantages and some drawbacks to each of them. Now, a disadvantage to to doing everything direct is that you will have increased uh, stresses in the restoration that an indirect restoration won't have. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's, um, any less bonded and any less biomimetic. Um, now with an indirect restoration, oftentimes you'll have to sacrifice a little bit more tooth structure, not a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's not necessarily in critical areas, but there's that. And there's also, you know, lab, uh, lab fees, but you know, it really comes down to preference. Yeah. And, you know, as long as I can see a good carries removal endpoint, Mm-hmm. I know that uh, they're using a good uh, dental adhesive and that their first uh, couple of layers are stress reduced either by waiting five minutes before they do a direct or they're, you know, waiting two weeks and they're doing immediate dent sealing that these restorations are going to behave very similarly, you know, long-term. Yeah. So 
Interesting. So to play a bit of like devil's advocate. So, you know, the average dentist listening, you know, they're either like working at a corporate place um, or they're working with like insurance and just kind of like set fees and things. So from a numbers and longevity standpoint, so someone just, you know, even if they're like, you know, they're taking this a little bit more seriously, sort of doing the rubber dam, someone like me, like, you know, rubber dam, we got scotch bond, we got some like genial flow and, and composite and things like that. What, you know, if, if we're, are working in a good dry environment, how big of a difference is there like in the grand scheme of things um, to doing things like perfectly versus like, you know, doing the best that you can within time constraints and material constraints and, and financial constraints? Uh, for sure. And, and this is a reality to a lot of your listeners, especially since a lot of them are, you know, new grads or, you know, maybe they're still in school and they really have no control over, you know, material selection that they get to mm-hmm. get to choose from. And so I'm going to ask you, Omid, you know, every dental manufacturer, how do they test their products? Against a benchmark? Against a benchmark. But well, where are they typically doing it? Oh, like in the lab. Like out of the in a lab. Yeah. So, so if you're in a lab, would you say that's a pretty ideal environment? For testing materials, yep. But For not testing to- materials, <laughs> yes. It's a controlled setting, yes. Now, now why would they choose to do it? In a lab, because there's no like the the environment's controlled. They're not worried for about sure. Yeah, and they can also make their products Look test better. better than normal, right? Yeah. <laughs> so when 3M is showing their, you know, their bond strengths, and they're not dealing with, you know, a vital pulp or carious dentin. And, you know, the, the person saying, hey, look, we've got this really great adhesive that's got MDP. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so new. <laughs> and, it, and it tests comparable to, you know, ex-adhesive. Yeah. And then you look into the, the, the studies from, you know, less biased areas of, from different universities and you see that their products test, test worse. So now my question is, is the ideal situations the the critical feature of the of the restoration so you think the material is more important well this is this is this is going to be controversial (laughs) there 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 are some people on instagram that you know have a very high orthodoxy Mm -hmm. certain isolation techniques yeah right yeah (laughs) rubber dam or bust (laughs) I mean, there will be there will be some people that will say if you don't have a rubber dam, yeah, it, this is an inferior restoration. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm under the belief that rubber dam is the the most predictable way to isolate a tooth for when I'm when I'm adhesively reconstructing a tooth. This would this would be important to me, right? Yeah, because I want I want to have the most control over my over my situation. Yeah. But now, let's say we've got two people who have great isolation. One's using a really good <laughs> material. Say, the other person's using fun. a less good material. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then we'll, we'll say, you know, which one is probably going to do the, be- the better one? You know, this is, this yeah. is hypo- all, hy- all hypothetical. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll, we'll say the person that's using the, you know, the best isolation and the best materials is going to do better than the person that has got the best isolation and bad materials. Right. So now let's take, let's extrapolate a little further. 
So now we've got, you know, the person with good materials and good isolation versus the person that's got good materials and bad isolation. Yeah. Or less than ideal isolation. And so that's I would say it, it, it's pretty easy to say the person that's got good isolation and good materials and good techniques is going to be better of than course. the person. Yeah. That's the gold standard. Yeah. That's the gold standard. <laughs> but now we got to figure out what's the lesser of two evils. Yeah. You know, less than perfect isolation but good materials and good techniques and then perfect isolation with, with bad materials and bad techniques. Yeah. And then let's figure out which one is better. <laughs> I like this. This is a good uh, philosophical discussion. <laughs> this is very, this is, this is, I've been, I've been waiting like months to give this, uh, give this spiel. Yeah. <laughs> so lucky for you, there's actually been a researcher that is, pretty much shown this okay nice and it's not necessarily you know in vitro but he, there's a there's a researcher out of university of washington his name's ollie uh Sauter, and he he's iranian or iranian i think he immigrated to england and then did dental school i don't know where he did dental school but he did his phd out at tokyo medical and dental Nice. And so he had to learn Japanese, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Or maybe it took him 11 years to, to speak Japanese. But he became one of the best, uh, you know, younger researchers that, that came out of there. And he worked under Junji Tagami. And they um, basically developed a technology that shows real-life gap formation with uh, – in a, in a, in a preparation. Mm -hmm. And so they, you know, they tested, you know, good adhesives and they tested bad adhesives and they tested bulk fills and they, you know, tested. And, it, and it's like, every time it's like, if you have a bad adhesive and a bulk fill material with a two millimeter prep, the thing delaminates at the bottom mm -hmm. every time you can see it real life. And maybe, maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll, uh, send you, uh, send you one of his papers or I think you can actually see some of the, the videos I think they're up on their, on their website. And then, so SC bonded better than Scotch bond. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's just a fact. 10 out of 10 times or nine out of 10 times. Is there hope? <laughs> like, like 10 out of 10. <laughs> now these aren't being, these aren't waiting, you know, five minutes either. Yeah. So, but these are like, so this is like a bad, filling technique yeah but it's one that a lot of dentists are using yeah and you know on a bench you know dr Sauter has ideal conditions you know there is no moisture but you know every time that you'd use a uh a simplified adhesive with a non-stress reduced technique with a bulk fill material it creates a delamination or a gap underneath the restoration. Yeah. Now with the different adhesive and the same, you know, bad filling material, there was no gap formation, but that doesn't mean that the stress is gone. Yeah. So, that saying, so just the stress like, is now in, in, in the restorative material, it's not yeah. in the, so again, to play a uh, devil's advocate. So if I'm using Optibond FL and then I just bulk fill every restoration, you're saying that's not bad overall. It would, I, <laughs> I would argue that it would be better. Yeah. Than, uh, 
than Scotch bond. <laughs> <laughs> and layering it one one millimeter increments proper like technique. Maybe. <laughs> now I would never say to to bulk fill. Okay. Because even with bulk fill, we know that the, the bond strength of Optibond FL with bulk fill strategies. And guess what it does? It cuts the bond strength in half. Yeah. So your bond potential just gets dropped in half, you know, you know, automatically with, with that. And so it's yeah. still not a good, a good strategy. The bond has been weakened, but it hasn't weakened to the point of uh, delamination. Whereas a bad adhesive will have that, that, uh, that delamination effect. Yeah. And so, you know, I see a lot of, you know, really beautiful isolation cases on Instagram and I'm inspired by it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, nothing makes me happier than a, than a good rubber dam, but I'm also not so orthodox in my thinking that if I see a slit dam, but I see good techniques or I see somebody with an isolate with good techniques that they can't have a very well bonded restoration. There's only one time that you need perfect isolation. And so if, I mean, I hate cotton rolls and I hate dry rolls. <laughs> yeah. But Fuziyama never used a rubber dam and he was the first person to show that you could actually bond to Denton. Yeah. And it's right when you're, you're priming and you're placing your adhesive. Mm-hmm. You can't have, you know, blood or salivary or gingival contamination at that point. Mm-hmm. If, you, if that happens, you need to redo, redo the step. Everything else, if you get contamination later on in the restorative uh, process, you can uh, overcome that. But if you get contamination right at the time of your initial bond, that is problematic. Okay, that's the foundation. So, so that's the foundation. So if you like, you know, nick your dam and it's like, oh, should I re- replace my rubber dam? I would say only replace your rubber dam, you know, if you just want it for for the photos. photos. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's uh, let's put the the hierarchy here. So top is good isolation, good materials, good technique. Next is good good isolation, good materials, poor technique, I guess. And after that was what like no no like poor isolation, good materials, good technique. That's okay, like, so, I, I mean, that's so if I was going to do a power ranking, we're right in the middle yeah, of the end. Of the power ranking. Ranking. Yeah, and, and I'm you know ranking the the teams. I would probably say you know Golden State Warriors. Yeah, number one, and I'd probably say I don't trust the Nuggets, but Raptors I would say too, surely I, I would I would say the <laughs> the Rockets at number two. Okay, and then maybe the Raptors at three. We'll take that, and then and then all the rest of the teams in the West, and then we can figure out. <laughs> you know, where the bucks fall, fall involved. <laughs> but if I'm talking about dentistry, so I would say good isolation. Yeah. Good techniques. Good materials is the best. That's, you know, without saying. Yeah. No debate. That's the golden state. That's, that, that's, that's the golden states, the gold standard. After that, I would say good materials, good techniques, you know, Conroe isolation? Maybe. Yeah. And and then I would say and then I would say good isolation. Good techniques, bad material. Okay. So if you're using bad materials, there are ways to make it behave exactly. in a good in a good way. Yeah. Even with a you know, Scotch bond or prime and I don't know about prime and bond into that. 
and then after that I would it just falls off know, a cliff. Yeah. It just falls off a cliff. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, I mean, I can tell when somebody is is on the right track, even well before they they do their rubber dam. It's like, you know, I get a lot of people that uh, want to show me show me their cases and show me their work and show me their progression and I love it. But there's only one picture that I really care about. And it's not the isolation. It's the, bottom, it's the carry's the removal endpoint. Okay. I want to see carry's detecting die. Yeah. And I want to see, you know, a peripheral seal zone that's completely clean. And then I can make adjust uh, deductions on, on the measurements to see, to see where they are. Because as soon as I know that, then I can know their bond potential. Yeah. As soon as it, and if I know their bond potential, then I can say, okay, let's just make sure we have a really good, you know, isolated environment for the bond mm-hmm. and then i'll ask you know what adhesive did you use and then after i know the adhesive that they used i want to know how they filled the filled the material uh you know the the restoration and then i can make a deduction on you know how biomimetic they are yeah and so everybody i, I live in a world where i feel like you know everybody's on a, on a bell curve, right? Yeah. So everybody is going to get to the point where they say, I'm biomimetic because I do beautiful zirconia crowns. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say, no. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe we can start with, you know, what, what is your, uh, what do you do with the class two? Let's, let's figure yeah. out how biomimetic you are, you know, with the class two. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, once we get you, you know, further, further evolved, then I can say, you know, biomimetics is a spectrum. There are people that, you know, think that it's only an aesthetic component. Mm-hmm. And then there will be people like me that'll focus more on the biomechanics and trying to mimic a natural tooth. Mm-hmm. And so the whole idea is that, you know, you've, you've progressed in your biomimetic education from the last time that we spoke. And that's really great. And I've seen a lot of your work and it's, and it's been inspiring and I've loved it. But I think after, Until you find out about the after, after, after this, uh, this, uh, this podcast, you might be like, I'm down two standard deviations. I think they're going to be thumbing through your, your Henry shine catalog or whatever they use in, yeah. in, uh, in Australia. And you'll be buying some, SC bond, yeah, or Optibond FL. I don't think you can get uh, uh, SC Protect in Australia because it's got fluoride in it. Uh, I'm not sure. To be honest, I'll have to look so, it up. So, so there are some some Australian and New Zealand dentists uh, that I know that have. That they I don't think they can get it. So yeah, but anyway, that's that's beyond the point. Yeah. To wrap this up, I want to. There's a few quick things I just want to just review and and just get some quick cool. answers. So. Um, we're doing our preps. We're measuring five millimeters occlusally if we're doing like a class one or even like a you know massive like multi-surface. Any, anytime you're you're cutting occlusally, you know five millimeters. Your reference is the highest cusp. Uh, it would it would be so in in the in the paper that I I think are in the show show notes from the last time. It has a, a nice diagram of using two uh, instruments. You yeah. know, a perioprobe. probe. Uh, two perio probes to determine uh, where exactly you are 
in the tooth. So if it, if you were cutting directly down, uh, you know, the yeah. cusp, you know, that would be, you know, five millimeters there. Okay. And then five millimeters from the central groove. Okay. So the way, the way that you estimate where you are in the central groove is to by laying uh, a flat instrument along the slope of the cusp with a, with a, with a perio probe. Um, okay. It's so like perpendicular for, to each other kind of. Okay. So then for the interproximal, like class twos, you go from the marginal ridge of the like adjacent tooth adjacent to the axial tooth. wall kind of. Exactly. Okay. That's three. Or, or um, you, if you're deep, deep in a, deep in a box, if you know the, the width of your, uh, of your burr, you can mm-hmm. kind of follow it right, you know, where the, the CEJ is. And you would say, you know, I've got about two, uh, two, two and a half millimeters, uh, before I, before yeah. I run that risk. For the caries detection. So you've just kind of opened up your axis. You, do you supply it, um, and then start cutting or do you rinse it first? What's like the caries detection? Uh, so I apply it and then rinse it off. Okay. And I, do, and I do this about six or seven times until I have a, a clean peripheral seal zone. And I, and I've gone, you know, that, that five millimeters, uh, occlusally or three millimeters in approximately. Yeah. And then, and then I'll stop. Okay. So you, you apply it, rinse it prep until it's all gone, apply it again, rinse it, have a look and see where it's at. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And so on any of my cases on my, uh, Instagram page, you can assume that, you know, from, you know, my initial to, to the, you know, the final carries removal, uh, endpoint, I've probably done six or seven, uh, applications. Mm-hmm. As soon as you start doing that and make it a habit, all of a sudden your preps are going to look a lot cleaner than they, they did before. Yeah. So uh, one of the most powerful stories that my dad uses when he teaches was the first time was the story about the first time he used Carrie's indicating dye. Mm-hmm. And that was in the late nineties. And I don't know if it, ha- if it had, if he had to smuggle it in from Canada at that time, <laughs> I don't know. it was right before or either right after the FDA uh, approved it. But yeah. Anyways, he, he did his best prep where he thought he was Carrie's Carrie's free. Mm-hmm. And then he stained it, rinsed it. And then, you know, he said, you know, oh, bleep. Yeah. I've been leaving a lot of decay under all my preps. Yeah. And it was a wake up call to him. Mm-hmm. It's like, I need to reevaluate how I'm, uh, how clean my clean is. And a good friend of mine, Kevin Lassiter, he had yeah. a very similar experience and he, he showed he's that on. Yeah, he's, he's a great guy as well. And you've, you've had him on as, as yeah. a guest, and, you know, but that was because I, I specifically told him, look, you, you do really clean work. I w- I'd like to see what your experience is after you clean a prep and then you stain it. Yeah. And then I want you to s- see if you go back and you, you know what? He won't go back, <laughs> yeah. but as soon as you can uh, get the predictability with Carrie's indicator, it's a very cheap technology. It's like forty bucks a bottle. It lasts forever. All of a sudden, you just have confidence in all of your preps, yeah, because you know it's clean. It's not like I can't, you know, really tell if you know this is 
you know, hard dentin, you know, there's a little bit of amalgam tattoo. There's a little bit of discoloration, but my slow speed burr is kind of grabbing, you know, my, it's not scratching. Yeah. It's just like the predictability of it is so vital. As soon as you start doing it regularly, you'll be like, you'll just fall in love with dentistry. (laughs) I like it. One other question I had. So for example, sometimes I find um, like I'll get an auto matrix or like a, even a subgingival like Telfmar to like do like the deep margin sort of elevation before switching over to like a sectional to like get the contacts and things. Yeah. And sometimes even with the dam on, in that process, when you take the wedge out and stuff, there's a little bit of bleeding and stuff that comes up uh, from the dam. What, like, how do you reprepare the tooth before you move on and uh, add the next layers of composite? Do you like do the whole bonding protocol or you just like rinse, rinse it? What's the best way? So is this after you've... Uh, um after you've already established your bond and elevated it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the best thing to do is, because I use a self-etch adhesive, um, I will always go back and re-prep the enamel. Okay. With, with, the, with the diamond. After, after my dentin has been sealed and I've resin coated and maybe done a layer or two, mm-hmm. I will go back and I will actually uh, refresh and the enamel and then I will go back and re-etch the whole prep. Yeah. So if there's a little bit of, you know, uh, heme contamination at that, at that point, you know, that will get, you know, rinsed away when I, mm-hmm. when I, when I re-etch it. Yeah. Uh, but if it, but if you start having like some, some contamination um, after you bonded and you're not switching out a matrix or anything like that, um, the best thing to do is actually air dry the the contamination mm-hmm. and then wick it away with the uh, with bond, just plain bond. Okay. And so, and then just uh, continue to continue on. And so, if you have contamination, that's the best way to uh, to approach it. But you just can't have contamination when you're bonding the dentin. But yeah, after so that, it's like you know you don't have to you don't have to rinse and dry. The best thing to do is just air dry it and then, uh, you know, wick away, wick away the heme or or that. So once the dentin sealing is done, once I change my matrix, if there's a bit of contamination, you can just kind of dry it off, just put a little bit of bond in and you should be fine after that. Well, uh, at that point, because I'm going to uh, reprep the enamel, I I just, I'll I'll etch and uh, rinse and dry and then place adhesive. Yeah over those areas and it'll have a, you know, a very, um, clean, um, surface. But since you are using a, a total etch, you could do it that way, but you wouldn't have to, you, all you would, all you would need to do is just re reapply your, your matrix, mm-hmm. air dry it, and then wick away any contamination Yeah, uh, with, you know, your, your scotch bond or, <laughs> but yeah. you would, you would still, you would, you would have to air dry your scotch bond because there's, yeah. there's solvent in there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's awesome, man. I think that was a good episode. I think we covered a lot there. Anything else you wanted to kind of bring up or touch on that you've kind of had discussions about or have seen coming up? I don't know. I'm just glad you thought it was worth uh, bringing back a second time. <laughs> Hopefully I didn't disappoint. I felt like, I, I don't know, maybe I needed to be drugged up on cold medicine again. I, <laughs> To get into a flow state. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, the, the pop can analogy or a pop bottle analogy will go down, I think, as one of the uh, memorable ones. <laughs> oh, 
right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that copper uh, foil thing is pretty interesting. So uh, what's, what's that about? Like, why is that different to anything else? Or is it just like more applicable to like get to deeper margins? Have or? you ever noticed like on like deep, on, on some deep margins where you're trying to get your, your Toffelmeyer down yeah. and you're pushing apically and it starts to bend like all yeah. of a sudden. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you go through like three or four different, you know, bands. Yeah. Before it's like you're able to get one past the margin, right? Yeah. So the beauty of the copper is that you can just, I mean, you can push hard. Yeah. You know? Like my, my goal, whenever I'm getting, pull, when I ask my assistant for a copper band, you know, I'm, my, my goal is I'm going to be pushing this to the bone. Yeah. <laughs> or at least getting it close yeah it's like i can just you know really push it down there and then stabilize it with a with an automatrix or a toffelmeyer or whatever yeah and and i'm past the um the margin and you know that's been a, a huge game changer like the margin elevation band by Garrison. So, so what's it so what's the shape of it is it like it's like a full band like a matrix band would be or uh, it, it, it's literally just a ring. Okay. It's a copper ring. It's like a super old school dent, dental technique. I don't know how to use a copper band that's not cut, and, but they were doing it, I think, for like single tooth impressions. Okay. Like, <laughs> like, like so analog that like, yeah. I mean, it's like gold foil. Mm-hmm. Dentist will, you know, be able to give you the, you know, the, how to, how to use it properly. But yeah. They're, they're hard to order because not a lot of dentists use them, but I just order a, a bunch and then I just cut them, mm-hmm. you know, almost to the size of like a, like a sectional. Okay. Yeah. And then I just, I mean, you'll, you'll be able to adapt. It's very malleable so you can shape it a little bit, mm-hmm. but when you're pushing apically, it doesn't distort. Okay. Nice. So it's just, it's super super beneficial and i was a little tempted not to ever show show my secret on yeah <laughs> on instagram but i get a lot of requests for you know where can i get these copper bands and yeah i, I think you can get get some from parkel i mean that's the cool thing man. i mean i'm on there every day and there's every like every so often you'll see something you're like oh cool i've like, never seen that before and then uh so it's nice to kind of like learn about it i mean i mean there's a little bit of a learning curve but I'll, I'll I'll give you a little nugget before before I leave on on those ones. So, if you know that you're going to have a deep uh, margin um, to elevate, and it's one that you're not super excited about, yeah. So you know, get get your rubber dam. You know, make your either cut your access like a like a crude one, and then either before you do that or after, I would take a the double floss ligature. And you know, tie it down. Really pull the the rubber dam, which will pull this uh, the sulcus apically. Yeah. And then after that, uh, roll up a piece of Teflon. Yeah. Now this is like a thousand dollar pearl. Okay, I'm excited. <laughs> because because placing Teflon is like the most annoying thing. It is so life. annoying. Yeah. And I and I wish I could like take credit for this, but I saw somebody do it. And they were just wrapping like a single central or something like super mm-hmm. easy. Yeah. Cause it, whenever you're like trying to pack Teflon, it will pull right to your instrument. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing is, is Teflon wants to stay in place 
on a dry area. Mm -hmm. So typically your instrument is dry, right? Yeah. And the, and the tooth or the sulcus that you're pushing the rubber dam in has a little bit of moisture content, right? Mm -hmm. And so dry the, you know, dry your prep and then take a drop of water and then dip your plastic instrument in the, uh, in the water. And then when you're packing the, the Teflon, it's not going to stick to your instrument, stick to it. So you can get that, that first little area where it's like, okay, it's, you know, adapting and then it's easy to, you know, to follow it. Yeah. But I mean, until I started wetting my, my instrument with, with the Teflon, I was like so frustrated with it. So it was like, it would just go exactly where I didn't want it to yeah. you know, go. And so if you, if you, and then if you pack that Teflon, what you're doing is um, you're kind of pushing away the, um, the PDL and making space for, for that, that band uh, in the future. So you take the Teflon out when you're ready to put the band or. No, like I leave it in, oh, okay. but, I'm, but I'm pushing it in just like, you know, if you're you know trying to extract a tooth. Yeah. Now that, that tip where, you know, you're, really pushing your instrument to separate some of the PDL mm-hmm. uh, or, or kind of push away some of those um, gingival fibers. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, Dr. Najad gave me that, uh, that little tip. Um, but I found that if I'm pu- pushing that, uh, uh, that Teflon pretty aggressively in that area, then that, uh, that I'm kind of, separating those fibers and then you know the band is going to slip down a, a lot mm-hmm. easier and so okay. if you know it's going to be bad just just plan on you know packing teflon yeah you know with the intent that you're you know separating those those apical fibers it'll also push the dam away so when you're cleaning up the that little bit on the on the prep it's not you're not going to nick the dam or yeah uh, nick the gum tissue Okay, so the yeah. Teflon stays in the whole time then, and then you just put your yeah, band on top of it. Yeah. Yeah, so so that uh, really difficult um, distal on, I think you call it 4.7, and we call yeah. it 31, whatever. I, I call it the, the retirement prep. <laughs> like, I'm done with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, if you, so if you look at that one, you can see the, the Teflon kind of shooting around. Um, yeah. You know, there's a copper, and there's a, you know, <laughs> automatrix, and... Yeah, you know, that was done all under rubber dam. That was that was one of my more impressive uh, feats. And yeah, how do you? So when you, when you get the we're going a bit long here, but well, you say the clamp. So if say if you're working on like a lower seven or because the tooth that's clamped, the clamp is all oftentimes in the way as well. How do you manage that? Do you like lift the clamp a little bit, push it down, and then seat the clamp again? Or I mean, ideally, you got like kind of a crappy clamp that's not like super springy. Yeah, and you push the um, push the band past the past the clamp. Okay, um, that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so what I'll usually do is I'll I'll have my assistant hold her hold her fingers where the where the clamp is a little bit. Yeah. And I'll put the the auto matrix, you know, around the around the tooth, kind of loose. Yeah. And then I'll. I'll, I'll separate it 
a little bit and try and push it down. Yeah. With, uh, uh, with, with my assistant still there, that doesn't work all the time. Occasionally I'll just have her just hold it, hold it down. And then I'll put the automatrix over the, over the tooth mm-hmm. and then bring the, the clamp and really, really stretch it. Uh, okay. Over. So your assistant's holding the rubber dam. You take the clamp off, put the automatrix yeah. on and then put the clamp back on. I named that the, the Robison after after her yeah. her last name, so I'm sure it's <laughs> another thing. But yeah, that's what I tell my assistant. I said, you know, we're we're gonna have to do it do a Robison, and yeah, <laughs> and, and they know what's up. We awesome. do it. Yeah, those are that. Those are like I mean the the events like you'll see the radiograph. Like oh man, this is not gonna be fun. And then you're like yeah, you try every matrix system in your arsenal you're like i'll try this i'll try it. everything keeps bending and then you get frustrated and uh but when you when you get it though it's like pretty rewarding i guess you're like yes like, yeah it's like what what i mean hopefully in your day you have like you don't have a lot of those yeah those situations where you go through like a couple of bands but yeah <laughs> it's good to have at least one a week that you're you destroy two or three bands and yeah maybe you'll learn a different approach yeah. awesome man thank you again for coming on i think it was a great episode and yeah, uh, i hope i didn't confuse you or too many of the of the listeners no no i think it's good i think that's what i try and do is i i you know i i, I come from the layperson perspective so i just try and kind of summarize it and make sure i'm getting it because that way i'm sure other people kind of get it as well so yeah so here's the lay, the layman's version for you throw away your scotch bond yeah <laughs> Buy SC Bond or Optibond FL. Yeah. Buy a bottle of Carries Indicator dye. Yeah. And then I don't care what you use after that. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Heated bulk fill. Let's go. <laughs> don't, don't you don't you do this? <laughs> I will roll over in my grave.